Have you ever thought back on your life and noticed that there are these small moments that led you to where you are today? I'm Alan Brooks from Building Momentum. In my new show, Breadcrumbs, I trace the pivotal moments of people's lives that lead them to where they are today. Then I was asked to go backstage and I was able to meet Jesus. And I just very distinctly remember thinking, I want to do that. In the sunshine in this leather couch, I found my two big passions. I truly believe as an adult, I'm just trying to recreate that moment. It turns out that that was the beginning of a couple of decades in journalism. And that changed my life. Through storytelling and conversation, our show traces the circuitous trail of how the creatives and intellectuals of today got to where they are. On Breadcrumbs, we'll pick up these crumbs that were left behind and see how they led us to where we are today and leading us to who we're still becoming. Take a listen to Breadcrumbs, an exciting, independently run new podcast. So I remember him saying, why don't you check out LinkedIn and see, is there anyone who used to live in Uruguay? And I don't remember how either the nationality or the previous work experience was in Uruguay. So I found someone totally random and sent him a message and he replied, I remember it was within a day or so. And he said, I'd love to meet you. And in fact, he's Uruguayan. So set up a lunch. My husband said, hey, you know what? I'm free that day. Why don't I come with you? And I told him and he said, oh, maybe I'll bring my fiance as well. So simple, right? We took them out to lunch and that was it. Hi, everybody. My name is Alan Brooks. I am the chief storytelling officer at Building Momentum, and you're listening to Breadcrumbs, which was an experiment that we did in the fall of 2021. So for context, my kids are now 13 and 10, not 11 and 8. But more importantly, this show is about people's individual journeys into their professional lives. And those journeys are all over the map. On this show, we talk to filmmakers and writers and editors and creators and HR professionals and storytellers, and no one has the same story. And I think that's the real takeaway from this show is that everyone's journey into where they end up professionally is totally different, totally unique, and totally personal to them. My guest this time is Sonal Ball. She is a executive coach and is one of those people who who truly, truly, truly knows who they are, what they do, and why you should hire them. She was just a really great conversation. She's lived all over the world. She's had such an interesting pathway. And one of the things that I really, truly adore about our conversation is it really highlights the importance and value in having a partner, if you're somebody who's partnered, who is supportive of you and who accepts the support that you give them. She and her husband seem like they truly, truly, truly have been each other's biggest teammate, biggest cheerleader, and biggest coach for their careers, which is such a such an incredibly lovely thing to have in a partner. The work she does is fascinating. She has a joyful, fun, and, and excited conversationalist, and I had just a blast talking to her. I always sort of knew I wanted to be in HR. You know, uh, it's interesting because you uh, hear this from people. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know who I want to be, but I always knew that. This was 18 years old, very crystal clear. So I, I started my career in a software company and things like networking and bandwidth actually had a technical meaning as opposed to what uh, the other meanings they have. And then got a fantastic opportunity actually, because I was let go from there. This was the dot-com bubble 
first period of 2000-2001. And then I had a very nice opportunity at GE Capital. And that is, I think, a career-defining move that happened where I learned a lot, you know, Six Sigma, Greenbelt, uh, certification, human resources, recruiting, all of that. When I was there, I met someone through Common Friends and we got along really well. And before I knew it, we were dating and we got married. And that meant that I had to follow him, uh, quit my job. And he moved to South America, Uruguay, to be precise. And I had just got promoted at GE Capital. So that was uh, interesting. I would definitely say that it was a sacrifice. And by the way, he paid me back uh, a couple of times later. So we're kind of even right now because I followed him to Uruguay and I followed him to Chile. Uruguay, it was interesting. It was the first time where I didn't have like a corporate job. The only thing that I could do were three things. Number one, teach English because I was okay. I was qualified to do that as a native English speaker coming from India. Taught English to Spanish speaking executives. Learn Spanish. That was number two because I had all this time and whatever I was earning, I was spending it on Spanish speaking Spanish classes because um, languages are expensive, particularly when you're abroad. And the third thing I did was volunteer work. So that was the time in Montevideo in Uruguay. This was 2005, 2006. And then we moved to Chile because of his work again. And I found myself going through the same motions for the first month and a half to two months. And I, I think of that period as my, my phase of Gilmore Girls and Gummy Bears. Lots of junk food and lots of television. And it was pretty awful. It was bad for my health and it was doing nothing for my mindset. I was, I'm pretty sure I was depressed. Um, and it was like, what do I want to do? I, mean, I don't know anyone. I don't even speak the language properly. So yeah, it was frustrating. So then I just decided enough is enough. How much TV can one consume? And decided to go out there and join an organization which is very active in the volunteer space. So I did that. And at the same time, LinkedIn was very new. I had opened an account. I think I was like treated it like a dumping ground for my resume. And that was it. And then uh, when we moved to Chile, my husband said, hey, because uh, obviously, you know, for a marriage, when you move, the biggest thing for the person who's, who's the reason for the move, the biggest source of stress is never children. It's always the partner, you know, and that's where you can either succeed or thrive or, you know, things fall apart. And he could see I was struggling. So I remember him saying, why don't you check out LinkedIn and see, is there anyone who used to live in Uruguay? And I don't remember how either the nationality or the previous work experience was in Uruguay. So I found someone totally random and sent him a message and he replied, I remember it was within a day or so. And he said, I'd love to meet you. And in fact, he's Uruguayan. So set up a lunch. My husband said, hey, you know what? I'm free that day. Why don't I come with you? And I told him and he said, oh, maybe I'll bring my fiance as well. So simple, right? We took them out to lunch and that was it. Forgot about this conversation months and months later. I'm still in Chile. I'm still teaching English. And I get a call from PricewaterhouseCoopers. And uh, that was interesting because I could not understand how they found my resume. So I did a little bit of digging and it turned out many months ago, six months ago, this person that I'd met, his fiance's dad was partner at PwC. And he, you know, sent over my resume or I think it was a hard document, like a paper document at the time. 
And this was the first time I interviewed in Spanish. It was all 100% in Spanish. And they said, we like you, we want you on. And so that changed my life because suddenly I was more international. I'm not saying volunteer work and teaching English doesn't count, but corporate life in a different country, in a different continent, in a different language was exactly the profile that a certain business school wants, which I was eyeing since I was 20 years old, which is INSEAD, which by the way, is the number one business school in um, the Financial Times rankings in 2021. So because I got into PwC and I did amazing things there, learned a lot. It was scary. I remember having anxiety as well, but you know, just dust off, get up, move on. Every day is a new day. And uh, got accepted into INSEAD to do an MBA back in 2008. So I would definitely say that decision to reach out to a total stranger, you cannot tell yourself, what what are they going to think? So that's a really interesting story, right? So you look at the whole the whole thing from 50,000 feet and you can see these moments of you saying like, well, I know what I want. Where do you think that comes from? Because if you look back all the way to the very beginning, growing up in India and growing up where you did and coming from your family and like, what was that reaction? Why did you go into GE? Why did you go after a corporate world? Where did that drive start? I think you're either born with it or you're not. And I was born with a a lot of curiosity. I was going to say something and I'm not going to. Uh, Good so, censor. We we can we'll we'll tell it all. A <laughs> uh, crap ton of curiosity, right? Why? But why, Mama? Why? So it was like, okay, I want to do this HR thing. How does it work? Like, so you're how old were you when you you said you wanted to be in HR when you were eighteen? Like, grade, yeah, twelfth grade, and um, it was just um, a simple business. You know, back then they didn't even call it HR. It was personnel management. This is to 1996, right? I'm that old, so it was by process of elimination. And I think the process of elimination is highly underrated. So I'm so glad you asked. Say everything. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, okay, I knew it. It had to do with business, something to do with business, what what I wanted to do, but I didn't know what. And I studied, there were three pillars back then that they had very simplified, very boring. One was personnel management, which is HR. The second was marketing and advertising. And the third was finance, accounting, et cetera. Finance accounting went over my head, never liked it, still Mm -hmm. don't. Um, My accountant hates me, separate topic. Um, Marketing and advertising, it looked glamorous, But when you're that young, you're very easily influenced. And what I had been told was not really a a place for nice girls. Can you imagine if they said that today? And the third one was personnel management. And I remember reading about staffing, planning, controlling. I'm like, what is that? Because I love people. I love how complicated they are, all of their ugliness and beauty. Hmm. So by process of elimination, I didn't want to do the first, didn't want to do the second. This is what I'm going to do. Okay, that's how I knew. Okay, but, but process of elimination, like you're you're talking about three things, three parts of corporate world. Most 12th graders, most 17, 18 year olds when asked, what do they want to do when they, you know, get into the, the real world? Very few, I feel like are saying, I want to go into personnel management. Like I was a, a kid who wanted to be in theater. There are, you know, kids who want to, they don't even know. So, so few kids at that age even know what they want to do. They just say, well, I'm going to go to college because that's what I'm supposed to do next. 
Like, how did you have such a, a clarity of vision, even, even to know that the business world, like the corporate world is a possibility? It's a good question because I had a podcast guest, in fact, this very week, and she said, I, she finds it fascinating because she always knew she wanted to be a doctor. It's that inner voice. Mm-hmm. Now, in my case, I was always, uh, everybody thought I was going to be a doctor. I have no idea why my science, physics, chem and bio, all those scores suck. I think when, when you're 18 or you're 42 today, I think when you want to do something or you have an idea, that's good enough for me. The mm-hmm. how... And the details of the what get clarified with time and talking to people, but sometimes also going in and doing the work. For me, going in and doing the work meant study something in college that makes it easier to do that dream job that you have in mind. And for me, that meant a behavioral science like sociology. However, we have a little thing called ego which creeps up Mm -hmm. sometimes it is a, I don't think it's ever a friend. It's usually coming from fear. And there is a a dilemma when you're at that age where fantastic college, big name, and then you have the course, you know, the actual Mm -hmm. degree. Whereas the other one is not such a great name, but maybe number five, number 10, but that degree program is the best in the country. Mm -hmm. So our ego will say, go for the big name, go for that. That sounds like Harvard. Ooh, you know, everyone's going to think so highly of you and you can move up in society. We're not thinking those thoughts, but eventually that's where we're going. And this so-called big name college had a brand new program for journalism. Oh, hello. I don't want to do journalism. Where is that coming from? But I was like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to travel the world and read the news Mm -hmm. on on TV? So I did all those entrance exams and I got accepted. And I remember just feeling feeling anxious, like, I don't really want to do this because it narrows it down and it means I'm going to be a journalist. Whereas studying something like sociology Mm -hmm. means the world is open. I can do a lot more with that, including be a journalist, by the way. So it influenced that decision. And then working, one of the first few jobs I had was hiring, recruiting, lots Mm -hmm. of recruiting. I enjoyed that a lot. I I enjoyed having a big influence. I liked the fact that recruiting was very number driven, a lot like marketing and Mm -hmm. sales. And it was very black and white. Whereas the HR things that I did later, business partner, talent management, training and development, that's a lot more fuzzy, wuzzy, you know. So I think the signs are always there if you your heart and your eyes are open and you, you watch, you listen, you see those signs. And like, if you're good at that, then, then that's good quickly before I'm going to sure. go back to the process of elimination, because when we reached Chile, I was pretty much told by all the other expats. And I have to say wives, because a lot of people who move to these interesting locations are men who mm-hmm. are, you know, going on to project work, software projects. Yeah. And their wives would be there and they'd be like, you know, new baby or something. We didn't have a baby at the time. And it was like, you're, they weren't discouraging or anything like that. But it was sort of understood. Why don't you come along and learn some exotic Indian curries with us? And we'd learn yeah. with us. And as much as I loved cooking, I, I love eating. <laughs> So I'm like, I'll go to your place and I'll have a great meal, but there's more to life. Like, yeah. I can't do just that. And they were like, but you know, you'll be the first one in our group. Nobody has worked here. It's not that easy. Work permit, interviews, language barrier. I kept, I kept hearing language barrier. 
And I'm like, well, then go and study, right? I mean, I studied and became fluent in one year. It was a question of will and drive. So I knew by process of elimination that I didn't want to sit at home. It didn't do wonders to my mental health. Yeah. It's great that you were able to have that presence, even in the more depressive times, to be able to say, like, this isn't serving me to do this, because that, that's hard enough in and of itself to just be able to identify when you need to pull yourself out or need to reach out for help and ask for help. And that's a very hard thing to do. So did your parents, did your family support this drive and this diving in so, so aggressively into that world? Yeah. So there's so many subcultures, right? I sure. come from Delhi and then you have big cities and then you have rural culture, urban culture, et cetera. I come from a part of India where it's pretty modern. Mm, mm-hmm. And yet. And yet. I don't want to hear about the modern. I want to hear about the and yet. The modern is do what you want, everything, you know, we're proud of you. Marry whoever you want. And, and yet. yet. <laughs> what is understood is eventually you will get married. Mm. Then you're not our problem anymore. Then you're with the husband. <laughs> not our problem. There's a expression in Hindi where you say for a daughter, she is borrowed wealth. She belongs mm. to her husband's family. So I've sort of heard that, grown up with that, found it pukey, pukeworthy. Yeah. And then I remember a few years ago, because we go back every year to India to visit our parents because we've both been away from home since 2005, right? Jan oh, wow. 2005. So it's coming close to 17 years. And we visit our parents every year, except for COVID. I remember this one time, my mom asked me, so Sonal, way back when you started working at GE and used to, in fact, do all these summer jobs. I said, yeah, yeah, mama. So what's the question? She's like, why did you do it? Like, did you ever feel that we didn't provide for you, like, why did you go out and start working at GE and, you know, long nights and sometimes you'd be doing weekends. And I remember just looking at her and not judging, not judging. I yeah. remember I wasn't judging because it's a the context that she's coming from and the generation she's coming from is so different from mine. And in fact, sometimes we would have shouting matches because I just couldn't see her point of view and she couldn't see mine. And I remember saying this to her. Mama, you wouldn't have asked me this question if I were your son. Mm. So it hurt me a little bit, but it's just one of those things. And I remember when I quit my job in 2018, and this was my last time at corporate, and I haven't gone back since. I was generally a very very unhappy soul at the time. And I remember her saying, Sonal, it's been a long time now. Why don't you just chill? Let your husband bring home the bacon, right? And She said that because I had told her about ideas I have for a business and I Mm -hmm. want to do this and I want to do that. And she was like, my head's spinning. Why don't you just chill a little bit? So would that have been told to me if I were my brother? No. Yeah. I know know for a fact. Yeah. And it's interesting that it's coming from this place of love. Yeah. Right. It's just a generationally skewed perspective on what parental love is. We as parents always want to be there and be that that safety net for our kids and do for our kids what your mom wanted to do for you, even though she was doing it in a backwards way. How do you marry that lesson to what you're going to be able to provide for your kids and the lessons that you want to have them take as you grow them into adult human beings with their own drives and ambitions? I think there are two things here. Number one is the gender of my kids has absolutely no bearing. They're two boys. And I am so sick and tired of these comments, Alan. Boys will be boys. 
oh, come on. I mean, right. yeah, you've got to do what you got to do. I mean, I don't take any prisoners. You got to make your bed. You got to know basic breakfast, how to make it all, you know, life skills, everything. So that's important for me because I didn't necessarily see that as a kid. And I think the second thing is, you're absolutely right. Every generation wants to do better than the previous one mm-hmm. when it comes to child rearing. And there are many things that they did really well that I do my best to incorporate. In fact, mm-hmm. I think we don't talk about it. I think we're in a parenting crisis where it gets an iPad in a restaurant and the kid is quiet for hours at a time, right? Social skills are being diminished completely um, oh, yeah. because of a lot of screen time. Now, there's a lot of rudimentary basic things they did that I like. For example, no screens, nothing like that. So when we're doing like long trips, road trips across Europe, it's a very simple, silly example, but we never have an iPad. I know people who have a TV at the back. Am I saying there's anything wrong with it? You do you. you have to do <laughs> I feel like there were some things that were done pretty well, giving independence at a young age, all of that. I like that. There are other things where you always want to see how you can improve. And Mm -hmm. I don't like blaming and shaming or anything like that because it's only when you, and my mom used to say this, you have your own kids, you're going to know what I mean. I think every culture you you have this. Oh yeah, I've never heard that at all from my own parents. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, I, I have to hold my tongue. And I'm like, did I just compare the older one with the younger one? Oh, don't you hate it? I used don't to you... hate it. When my oh my God. And you, that. and you, you recognize that you're like, you were just become a cliche. And my husband and I are very good objective. Like I have to tell him sometimes, be careful. Like, you know, you know who you sound like? I know I sound like my mom right now. I didn't start dating your dad. I'm, I started dating you. Stop. And same with me. I'm not an yeah. easy person to live with. Right. There's an expression in India. We say, when you point at someone, you got one finger pointing at them and you got the rest of them pointing towards Mm -hmm. you i'm not an easy person to live with and i'm like wow i recognize this now and i don't like it (laughs) but you found a partner that it sounds like truly was a partner and despite the fact that he had his own ambitions his own careers that your relationship was built around making sure that you were able to pursue yours despite the fact that it might have taken you out of where you originated so you you were able to find a partner that was able to support you, which is lovely and hard, no matter where you're from, right? It's, that's the dream is to find somebody who's your teammate. And he was the one who encouraged you to get onto LinkedIn and push yourself in into that space. What about going back to business school? And in Chile, you're in the corporate world. You're at PwC, which is like a big fucking deal. Like PwC is a, a real company. And how do you make a decision to leave that behind to go back to school? Yep. I always knew I wanted to do an MBA. When I found out about MBA, I knew I wanted to do an MBA. However, the thing with big decisions is the more you wait, the more scary it is. Oh yeah. They get bigger, the longer that, you know, they're, they're the monster under the bed, right? Exactly. And it's funny because at the same time I was turning 28, I remember very clearly. And I started getting these weird maternal things that I just didn't recognize. And I didn't get it. And yet- I got it. So what does that mean? I'd be, you know, in a mall and he and I'd be eating ice cream. And then there'd be a sweet girl who'd come and say, you know, you dropped your earring. It's on the floor. And she'd give it to me. And I'd look at her and I'd start crying. Oh my God. What is wrong with me? I didn't recognize this because I'm not like that. And this happened two, three times. And I remember my Chilean colleagues telling me in Spanish, it's instinto maternal or animal. It's just, 
your body's telling you maybe it's time <laughs> to start procreating i don't yeah. know what the heck it was but if you're a parent you may know what i'm talking about sure. so i was like how is this going to work i want to have an mba before i'm 30 because then otherwise in my head it's too late you know, stories we tell ourselves i would also sure. love a, i would also love a kid before 30 how am i going to do this so i lived with that for about one year that dilemma and i remember my husband just like why are we overthinking it why is this so complicated let's do both the baby uh. and he was like we'll figure it out i'm like what it's like we'll figure it out don't worry so i remember taking the gmat which is the entrance exam yeah. for the mba i remember taking it 5 months pregnant i was the only pregnant person in chile in uh, in that room it felt so weird i was going to say i don't remember that st- that news story about the only pregnant woman in chile <laughs> and i when i i remember very well because we left chile and we moved back to india because we were like 3 years in south america we're done for now it was so far away nobody needed yeah. us it was too expensive and i i remember waiting on this decision for business school and and my husband and i were like it's going to come it's going to come harvard rejection stanford rejection columbia Oof. rejection i'll be lying if i said they were my dream schools they were not they were great schools in my head because my ego was saying wouldn't it be nice wouldn't it to be have lovely? that you big know, harvard I, on my resume yes, yeah 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 exactly and insead which is in france was the dream school and i applied there i got in and i remember it was one week before i gave birth that i got in and i was jumping and i was so excited i still remembered april 2008 when i got the news and i looked at my in-laws and i looked at my parents and their reactions were like what are you going to do i was <laughs> like i'm going to freaking go that's what i'm going to do my yeah. husband was my husband was so excited my sister was so excited but the rest of them were horrified because of i mean their reaction just said everything so he the baby came one week later and you know how new babies are it's everyone just shows super up super easy it it's is. no problem yeah. at all i get just can sleep all night long the breastfeeding mess deserves an episode in itself because husband's like cry like i want to help you like i'm so oh sorry. my god like, it is very difficult to be a partner to someone you love and see how difficult breastfeeding can be and how difficult being a new mom can be and knowing that there is little really nothing that you can do one to thing be you can do one thing you can do and that is give a bottle that's what i used to do and then he'd be like feeling a little bit more useful right you would express the milk anyway i don't want to <laughs> oh li- oh listen no my my wife is a maternal child health nurse for for 15 years so you want to talk about expressing milk all day we'll talk about breastfeeding we'll talk about chapped nipples all day it's long freaking painful man Yeah. Freaking painful. I was one of those people that said 6 months. Okay. Bye-bye. Bottle time. Anyway. <laughs> But I remember one of those sleepless nights. And because this was temporary, we were in India, we were living with my in-laws. And I remember people around like how and he was colicky and they were like, "How are you going to manage?" Mm. And again, this came with love. And every one of them said, "Just leave him behind. This is not right for him. It's right for you." to take him but it's not right for him because yeah. a little bit more stability oh and you I were said, taking the kiddo to class and stuff no no so i was still in india when i got okay. accepted so it would mean moving to france right so yeah. this was a few months before moving to france he was a little newborn skinny yeah. baby and what do newborn skinny little babies want they want milk they want a lot of milk yeah. so they said you know the date is approaching you're supposed to leave but it's not right why don't you leave him behind and we know this one who's done it we know that one who's done it and i was like i don't agree 
I'm not leaving mm-hmm. him behind. He's a part of me and I'm yeah. not going to miss out on his first smile and his first step and his first whatever fart, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Oh my God. Babies are disgusting little monster things that, <laughs> that, that they are inhuman. Nobody talks about the alien head when they're born. I remember my husband like, whoa, this was our first baby. So no, it's funny. Fun. My, my friends asked because I was the first in my friend group to have kids, right? We, well, not the first, but early. Us, us too. And somebody had kids when I was like 30 and I was like, oh yeah. The thing they don't tell you is that you get really comfortable with other humans fluids really quickly. Practically the second, all of the grossness that comes with having a new human, you have to make sure it doesn't die. Spit up. Spit up. Oh, spit up all over the Nobody place. Nobody talks and- about the fact that those stains are permanent. Oh yeah. And they're everywhere. And, and so and- I took him along and it was messy and pukey and and poopy and all of that and i wouldn't have it any other way no and was it just true. you and the kiddo in france and my husband and your uh, husband so came what he too. did okay. was what he did was he followed me he returned the favor and uh we have to give full credit because his boss was so nice and he said you were doing this uh, amazing job in latin america why don't you do the same thing in europe oh uh, what it a was privilege. good because we had a little bit of income but whatever life savings we had you know uh, and thanks to the help of my uh, my in-laws it was a very expensive program so i remember just diapers feeding casework coursework group work politics because nobody really liked me in my group because i was one of those people that wanted to leave at a certain time <laughs> and frankly speaking i was very intimidated by this group it was a bunch of very intelligent i would even say overachievers and they couldn't wait to see the back of me so <laughs> i mean alan we can talk about that as an episode in itself because i have been called a freeloader and i remember that word sticking with me oh. in a very traumatic way and i don't use the word lightly because i know trauma is used for like trauma is owned by degree. the traumatized right like their what degree. is your trauma and what is their trauma is different so and it just left such a long i mean i was one of those lucky people and i also worked my ass off but i remember when i graduated it was 2009 which was a huge yeah. recession oh man and I had five offers at graduation. So I was very proud of myself because I worked really and I did a lot of networking and I was in a niche, which was in HR. I wanted to be yeah. at a higher level in a new industry, in a new location, which others didn't want, right? It was the classic McKinsey, Bain, L'Oreal type of MBA campus recruitment going on. Uh-huh. And here I am who wanted something different. And I think that definitely one of the things that helped me to stand out. My point is, I never forgot that comment. So much so that I self-sabotaged a lot for Mm. 10 years, 10 years. So when you have that five-year MBA reunion, I didn't go. The 10-year reunion in May, 2019, I didn't go. So I had to work with a coach actually to understand why I didn't go. And Mm -hmm. a little bit of it was, what will people think? Yes. Uh, The other part of it was, yes, to some extent he was right. I did suck at certain subjects like bonds and macroeconomics and financial accounting. And we all suck at stuff. Yeah, it was just the perception was I'm pretty useless. So (laughs) I just didn't want to face those people. I haven't gone back to campus, which is such a pity. And my husband was so supportive during the whole thing. He's like, you should go, especially 2019 when I started my own thing. He's like, the network will be good for you. And I was like, yeah. So anyway, (laughs) moved to Belgium right after business school one of the five offers that I had and it suited him as well because he could move France to Belgium Mm -hmm. easy, but there were other opportunities in the UK and he said, that's not easy. That wouldn't make a lot of sense for my career. It has to make sense for the two of you. Yeah. 
right? It can't be just for the one of. So I followed him to Uruguay and Chile. He followed me to Belgium and France. So right now we're even. Not bad. So now you're in you're in Belgium and you're you're working in HR. You're working with human beings. You're working with people, developing them as part of these companies that you worked for. As uh, no, so right now I'm self-employed. So I've done three HR jobs. Which yeah. finished in 2018. Out of those three HR jobs, I was in telecom, mining and chemicals, and food ingredients. So very different industries. Out of those three, in two of those positions, I've been laid off. Oof. So I have not only done the laying off as an HR person, but I've also been laid off myself. So yeah, yeah. But that's that's such a valuable experience to have on both sides of that. As you're now developing this this role as a career coach for people because the human aspects of work is the hardest part of it, I think, right? It's you're asking the most disparate people you can to come together around a common goal, whether or not the work is good, the human interactions are where all of the difficulties come from, right? So, so how do you help people now navigate both finding work and finding careers and places to work that is satisfying. But do you help them also like manage that human relational aspect? Yes, for sure. Corporate HR work is very different from what I do today. At the end of the day, the buck stops when you're in corporate, it stops with someone. So we Mm -hmm. can talk about the business aspect of it another time, I think. But today, what's really interesting is the kind of work I do. When someone reaches out to a career coach, they are usually at their lowest. Interesting. Plain and simple. It's very rare to see someone reach out saying, I'm already really successful and I want to move to the next level. It may not be a career coach. You may be looking at something else like, you know, communication skills and executive presence. And those are more proactive, right? Uh But when it comes to a career coach, it's interesting because usually what I tend to see is there is a pain and it's hurting. Mm -hmm. And if they're already employed, then it's like that pencil going into the wound and twisting and twisting. The fact is they want to get away from there as fast as their legs will allow them, but it hasn't happened yet and they need help. My job is to do so many different things, but we start off with going back to almost that childlike person saying, what do you want? Yeah, I don't want you to keep driving if you don't like where you're going or... You don't know where you're going. Yeah. And that, you know, when you're, what is that expression? When you're, don't drink poison just because you're thirsty. So that is like really true. So we don't look at like jobs. I'm not a job coach. I'm a career coach. And that's true for anyone who's a career coach. We want to make sure that we map out at the long game. I'm thinking infinite games, Simon Sinek, Mm -hmm. and seeing what is that you really want. I like all that, but I, I'm not a huge fan of taking too long because I like action as well. Because otherwise we yeah. get very comfortable. So then we're like, okay, we map that out, detailed questionnaire. And then we're like, okay, what does that look like in 2021? And mm-hmm. let's map it out and see what does it look like in terms of companies? Who do you know there? Okay, we have that idea mm-hmm. because a lot of people will say career coaching is resume and LinkedIn. For me, that comes much later. Sure. That's the GPS and all. It's that. interesting that you said you said no. You went right to networking because you've mentioned that uh, so many times throughout this. It it does seem like your the lessons learned along your journey have been so focused on getting to know people and developing those interpersonal relationships and making sure that that's where 
the presence is known because like, you know, anyone can drop a resume onto LinkedIn to your point, right? Because you just said it now, like, let's start developing your network and figuring out who those people are that you can reach out to. And it just, it's interesting to see that, that kind of through line from finding that network in Chile, now giving the same advice that you were given by your husband then, which is how do you find someone to to help? And how do you ask for that help? What's really funny. And now you're that person to so many people. Exactly. What's fascinating for me is when you ask people in your friend circle, how'd you get this job? And if you look at your own career, people are like their jaws drop. It was usually through networking. They never thought of it because they don't call it networking. And I don't like the term networking because it sounds transactional. It sounds like you want something. And I'm going back to that favorite Chinese expression of mine. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Yeah. The next best time is today, right? So yeah. I don't like that definition. I call it making friends and staying in touch. That's it. Yeah, it's, re- it's relationship building. I mean, that's the thing that I get so frustrated about, you know, when I find myself in quote unquote businessy places or networking places is that it's so focused on that transaction of like, here's my business card. May I have your business card? I will call you and I want to do business with you because that is what we do at networking events is we create business connections for business. Whereas like we are all human beings working together to do a good thing in the world, ideally, right? Obviously there's a lot of organizations that are actively trying to destroy the earth because of profit, but we're not talking about them. Screw those guys. You know, most people want to engage. And if you were asked to engage for 40 plus hours a week with other people, you should like them and you should want to engage with them. At our company, when we, when we start hiring people, the very first thing we do is a very casual conversation as part of the interview process. But it's so important to invite people into our organization who are going to get along with the other people and be able to engage with those other people as human beings. And I tell young people that I'm talking to all the time, I give my email out and my phone number out all the time. I'm like, I'll be your network. Like you can put me into your quote unquote professional network. But like, also, if you want to just come hang out and have a beer and we'll talk about stuff, I'm happy to do that too. Because maybe in 20 years, there'll be to your point, to your tree growing for 20 years, there'll be a way to engage and do something good together. And maybe it won't. We don't know. Yeah. And it doesn't Who cares? Matter. It let's doesn't just, matter. So I even take it up. What you said is so beautiful. And I will even take it a step further. And I'll say, I really think of it as making friends and staying in touch. Like if yeah. I were ever in the Arlington, DC area, I will give you a call. And you should. I will, I will show up. So the point is, <laughs> this is really interesting because full respect, not everyone thinks this way. For some people, a job is a job, nine to five. I am giving myself, this is my service. I don't have to love it. This passion thing is overrated. This is very interesting. You know what you want and you know what you don't want. So going back to the theme of elimination, knowing what you don't want. Mm -hmm. I had someone reach out to me. I remember it was last year and I did a lot of this so-called networking, staying in touch through LinkedIn last year because of the times we are we are in. I must have done maybe 200 or 250 such meetings last year. Were every one of them a success? Am I in touch with every single person? No, of course not. Mm. But I remember the ones that I will not go and talk to those people again. It's just fine. They're not for me. And why is that? I'm going to be specific here. I had someone reach out saying, oh, you wanted to speak in engagements? I think you should speak with this girl this mm-hmm. woman and she has this agency and she's in this uh, city and I said oh that sounds fantastic and one of the things she said was firstly it, you can tell it's a bit transactional like yeah. you scratch my back I scratch yours and at the end of the conversation it was more like you know feel free to send me your LinkedIn posts and I can like them and I can do the same with you because yeah. 
it can affect your you know reach and it'll help you and it'll help me and i was like i am not going to do that and i'm not speaking to her again but i wouldn't know that if i hadn't met her and i wouldn't know that i don't like that style mm-hmm. so you got to sometimes kiss a few frogs and get used to that disgusting smell and taste of those frogs because you don't know when the prince is coming right so think back to ge times think back to to high school 17 year old sonal you know you want to be in hr what is the alternate universe version of you that took a totally different path at that point what is she doing now subconscious desire maybe acting yeah tell me everything never thought about it till today i have no idea why i said that i love it it's just one of those things i've never thought about it i've never entertained the idea but i enjoy a little bit of drama now acting sorry i'm going to take that back maybe television i think you need to get take an acting class i think there's something in there i think either, you need to get either acting or just like a talk show with a corporate theme see journalism yeah. again i you need to go find an acting class right now you need to get in some place that's going to get you learning meisner or the method or you need to get on stage you you coming from a theater guy that means a lot thank you um okay so before i let you go what does 7 year old sonal think of 42 year old sonal so so effing proud of you <laughs> and that takes a lot for me to say that i'm that's great very critical i'm very critical can you can you ask for a better response from your inner child i don't i don't think so well listen sonal this was delightful it's always great to talk to you let's do this more frequently because i just want to hang out with you because that's what it's about it's not about the bullshit of networking it's about making human connections i love our connection thank you so much for sharing so much of your story and thank you for for hanging out with me for the hour i really appreciate it i i got goosebumps i i i've never heard these questions before i mean they're like i'm really emotional right now thank you oh good thank you this was truly lovely thank you so much Thanks so much for listening. Again, I'm Alan Brooks from Building Momentum. You can find us on the web at www.buildmo.com. We teach people to be better problem solvers at their work and in their communities. So if you want to work with us, please check us out and send us an email. I can be reached at alan, A-L-L-E-N, at buildmo.com, B-U-I-L-D-M-O.com. Breadcrumbs was an experiment that we at Building Momentum did during the pandemic, like a lot of us did. We thought podcasts were the right answer. So if you think it was, hop on Apple Podcasts, hop on Spotify, give us a like, give us a subscribe, give us five stars, and shoot me an email and let me know that you want to hear more. If you like it and if we get some subscribers, we'd love to keep producing it. Again, this is a show all about people's weird and interesting and personal journeys into their professional lives. 